Are you curious about the current state of the rapidly changing real estate market? For answers, look no further than Brian Linda at Coldwell Banker Bernizer Realtors. We are experienced real estate professionals with over 40 combined years in the industry. We have a finger on the pulse of the market and can help you understand the latest trends and conditions no matter how wild they appear. Right now, we are offering a free, no-strings-attached seller's guide. This guide is packed with valuable tips and insights to help you navigate the selling process with confidence. Contact us today at www.realestatechanged.com or find Get Brian and Linda on Facebook. Remember, for all things real estate, Get Brian and Linda. Everyone, welcome back uh, to A Dose of Dog. We are gosh, heading into summer here, um, but the subject I'm going to talk about today is is relevant all year long. <laughs> so, I, I most of you that know me um, know that I have sibling dogs that I kept out of my own breeding. So I kept two puppies out of a breeding that I did, and. At, at, as you know, as a behavior consultant, like a lot of the recommendations that I give are just to make your life easier, right? To make living with your dog easier and and living life outside of your home a lot easier. And so the recommendation that's often given by dog trainers and behavior consultants is don't keep siblings. It's such a horrible idea. <clears throat> Excuse me. So today we're going to dive into why would it be a horrible idea? Why would it be a good idea? What what are some things that you should put in place if you do keep siblings? So we're going to talk about that today. Um, and I, I, you know, when I, when I had the litter that I kept the two puppies out of, um, the male just really kind of grabbed our hearts and I ended up keeping two. And I, I knew, <laughs> I knew what I was getting into. It was utterly exhausting. I will say the first year to create puppies that were independent, um, and so that's what we're gonna talk about today. And, and again, this always kind of boils down to what are your goals with your own dogs? Do you want them to be independent? Because if you don't care, then the things I'm going to talk about don't really matter. You know, they're your dogs. You're the one that lives with them. So, um, I'm not saying any of this is right or wrong. I'm just saying, if you want to create puppies that are independent, um, then here's some, just some ideas that the, of things that you can do. So, you know, if we look at, if we look at the definition of siblings, I mean, obviously it would be litter mates, um, you know, two puppies out of the same, out of the same litter. However, some of the potential issues can also arise with puppies that are the same age. So let's say that, let's say that you have purchased puppies that are very close in age, under six months, probably, um, and you've create you've gotten puppies that are you know three two three four or five weeks apart or whatever it might be, those puppies as well, um, I would kind of delineate as siblings. You know they're they're similar age, they're going through the same developmental periods, and so the issues that potentially could arise could happen in that setting too. So I'm going to talk about siblings, like true siblings out of the same litter, or puppies that are out of different litters, but potentially the same age. Um, and it doesn't matter breed. I mean, it could be, you know, a Maltese and a Tibetan Mastiff <laughs> that are similar ages. You know, the the potential for that bond is going to be very common in any breed of dog that you get, as long as they're kind of similar age. So so when I when I talk about siblings, I I do mean litter mates, but I also am referring to dogs that are or puppies that are really close in age because 
<clears throat> some of these things we can see happen um, with puppies that are that are the similar age that are brought into a family. So so why is it a problem? And and and, and again, it might not be a problem if you don't care. Then it's not a problem, right? I mean, it goes to say with any behavior issue, if your dog is you know, obsessively barking at your neighbors and you don't really care, then it's not a problem. You know, we, we kind of define what problems we want to kind of tackle. So potentially what some of the problems could be is that, you know, the dogs are coming to you bonded. So they're already coming to you as a bonded pair. And so the potential there is that, or what, what potentially could happen is that the, the puppies are coming to you already with a relationship and it makes it that much harder to create a relationship with you. And, you know, kind of the analogy that I like to use in talking to people is that, let's say that you are exploring a foreign country and you are an English speaking person and you meet at a cafe, perhaps an English speaking person, you're going to bond a lot he more heavy uh, closer, I guess I would say to that person than you would someone who maybe isn't speaking your language. And that that's the same with puppies. You know, if they come into an environment and there's someone that speaks their language, of course, they're going to have a stronger bond with that person or that, that dog in that situation. But if the puppy comes to you and it's just you, you know, it's kind of a relationship that has to be built and, and slowly, put pieces together to kind of build up that trust into that relationship. So when you look at puppies coming into the same home, they're kind of coming in from this, they're kind of being dropped off onto a foreign country, right? Um, and if they have someone that speaks their language, then it's easier to kind of bond with them than it is with you. So that is kind of why all of the dog trainers, behavior consultants, um, veterinary behaviorists will say, don't get litter mates. Now there is a, a word that floats out there around there called litter mate syndrome. And it's not truly a syndrome. Like it's not defined in any kind of veterinary textbooks. As far as I'm, I know I should actually have checked that. Um, but, but, but from my understanding, there isn't really any literature on it. Um, no one's really kind of dove into, to what litter mate syndrome is. I mean, we all on the surface kind of know what it is. Um, a lot of people would define it as a very dependent bond between two dogs in a household, two puppies in a household. Uh, they aren't really, they're quite dependent on one another and not really independent. Um, and you see a lot of kind of anxiety when those puppies are separated, when one of them leaves, um, even when one of them leaves maybe just to go upstairs into a bedroom and the other one is left in the living room, you see some pretty significant anxiety from the one that, that could be left without the other one. Um, and you know, with all of our dogs, our, our goal in life is to reduce any kind of suffering, I guess I would say. And, you know, if, with a dog, a, a dog that has a lot of anxiety, I mean, I would view that as kind of almost a a suffer a, a, a piece of their life that they're struggling with, which potentially is causing some some suffering in that moment, right? So um, that those are the kind of the things that you see now. Now again, I I'm not aware of anyone that has actually studied this. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, um, but we have tons of anecdotal data out there, right, from all of the dog trainers and and people that kind of do what I do when they see litter mates. Um, and so is it a good idea to keep them? It's up to you. 
again, they're your dogs. There's no right or wrong in any of this. It's what is going to make you comfortable. So, so let's talk about kind of the, the good and the bad of both of these things. So the good is that they occupy one another, which my gosh, when you have a puppy, it's so fantastic. Um, and so when you have another puppy in the house, they kind of occupy one another. And as a lot of you know out there, puppies are a lot of work. <laughs> you know, they're constantly putting things in their mouth and they're biting things and they're chasing the cat and they're getting into the garbage and chewing on things. And so having having someone or something to occupy that puppy during those times is quite fantastic, right? Um, you know, they kind of came knowing how to play with one another. And that's something that we don't really have to interfere with. So yes, they can occupy one another. They can play. Um, I mean, I'm not going to lie, you guys, when pup, when siblings snuggle together, I mean, it's basically the cutest thing you've ever seen, like the little heads on one another curled up in a little ball. <laughs> and so, so it's great because they can occupy one another. Um, typically those dogs, when they come as a pair, we don't see as much I anecdotally, I guess I'm going to add that, um, don't see separation anxiety if they've come together because usually they're together. And so when they're together, you might not, you don't see maybe some of those anxiety driven behaviors like you are leaving the house for the day. The puppies are together in their space, wherever you keep them. Um, Typically in those contexts, you don't see the anxiety that you might see in a dog that's truly exhibiting separation anxiety. Now, that's not to say, and we're going to get to that when we talk about the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, that you don't see once one of the pair is taken away, you don't see those anxious behaviors surface in that moment. However, <laughs> when they're together, you typically don't see that. So, so that sometimes is is comforting to people to, to know that they're with someone because we all know dogs are super social, especially puppies, you know, before they go through sexual and social maturation, they're... They're very social. Um, and so having that little bond that you know they're going to feel okay when you leave them is quite is quite comforting to a lot of people. So and it's definitely a good um, out of keeping two puppies and then their ability to kind of occupy themselves. So <clears throat> those are kind of the good things. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of other good things. Those are the, the, the big pieces, I guess, that I would put at the top of the list for most people, along with getting really cute pictures of them. I mean, we all know that that's a good... <laughs> So what could go wrong? Because this can be a list that that um, some people see. And again, I, I, I think being in the field um, and doing a lot of behavior work, I think I see a lot of what could go wrong just because those people are seeking me out oftentimes for help. So we, we talked about how it's good that they come closely bonded, but that can kind of backfire, right? So they are very closely bonded, which means that taking one out of that scenario can create a lot of anxiety. So if you have two puppies that are closely bonded and you haven't actually gone through the process to teach them that being separate is a good thing and that good things can come out of that scenario, then you can see a lot of anxiety when one of those puppies is taken away. And, and I see this at a pretty young age. You can see this at a pretty young age. Um, dogs that can't even be in a room away from one another with some kind of barrier where they don't have access to that, that sibling. So one is in the kitchen, one's in the living room, and there is extreme anxiety from one or the other. Um, oftentimes it's one <laughs> more than the other one um, in that context. So the dog is 
vocalizing, they're stress panting, they are trying really hard to get to their sibling. So you see a lot of that. And again, it's it goes along with, yes, they're very closely bonded. They both speak the same language, they're in a foreign country, and they are really reliant upon one another. So they don't have the coping skills oftentimes to be left alone. Now we can help that, and we're going to talk about about what that might look like. But they are very closely bonded, um, um, if because they 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 speak the same language, right? Um, and then we see that anxiety from one another, where if you take one out for a walk, the other one can't function. Um, and and there are varying degrees of this. You will see dogs that just might vocalize a little bit. You see dogs who all out have almost what looks like separate, like clinical separation anxiety, like panic attacks, panting, high respirations, lots of stress signals, franticness, clawing at the door, you know, barking at a fence um, with that very, very, very anxious high-pitched bark. So you might see a lot of those things in, in dogs when you take one away. You take one to the vet. You take one for a walk. You, um, um, anytime, you know, the dogs can be separated. So you see a lot of that as well. And that's just that dependence upon one another um that that they just don't have the coping skills to kind of be one be with one another so those are some bad pieces and that's those are things that you can see oftentimes in puppyhood now sometimes as adults uh and i see this more with female siblings than i do with male siblings and more than i see with male to female combinations. And I'm, I, I'm, the data says usually um, you will see conflict in female to female households in general. So, so that's kind of an overarching piece of what's out there in the, the data for conflict in houses. But sometimes with litter mates, you also see when they start to reach um, maturation, you know, when they're maturing, when they're 12 to 18 months old, they have sometimes a lot of, there might be a lot of conflict. So what that could look like is maybe they start arguing over something. So it could be attention. It could be maybe a little bit of resource guarding. It could be um, things that start off maybe as little tiny spats over resting spaces, over going in and out the door, over food or bones or, or any kind of resource. So you might see little bits of tiffs in terms of guarding a space or a spot or food or whatever. So you might see little pieces like that. And a lot of that can escalate. And a lot of that can escalate into some pretty serious conflicts where there is some aggression that you see and there are wounds, um, ears, lips, faces, usually in, in housemates. So sometimes you start to see that. And if that's not resolved, that can really escalate. And that can often escalate to a point where people have to make a decision as to, are they going to rehome one of the dogs? Um, are they going to try to keep them in their house and put some management and some behavior modification in place? So that can be a very serious uh, concern for um, particularly same sex uh, combinations. So usually same-sex combinations in the same households. Um, I mean, it can happen in female to females, but you can see it in male to males, especially around sexual, when they sexually mature six to nine months. And then after that, um, that you'll see some of those conflicts kind of come into play. 
So that can be a problem too, right? That can be a problem where where you start to see little conflicts and then and then it's difficult to kind of resolve because these dogs have had this close relationship for a long time and now you have to try to kind of unravel that living in the same household. So there's a lot of stress that comes from a families particularly in that context. So and again, you know if you look at the conflict obviously can be a big problem in a lot of families, but sometimes some of the anxious behaviors that you might see, I mean, some people just don't separate them. They just choose to kind of live a life where the dogs aren't really separated, which I think can potentially lead to maybe some unhealthy things as the dogs age into their senior years. If something happens to one of them, you if one of the dogs if one of the dogs does pass, what you might see is one of the other dogs being really depressed and kind of going through a pretty significant um, depressive stage. Um, so that can kind of happen too. So what do you do? So what are some things that you can do to make these relationships be more, I guess I would say more amiable for the the dogs, <laughs> Um, both from being separated and then living together. So there's a lot of things that you can do. Um, I mean, I, I did it right. I mean, my dogs are, my siblings are four years old and, and they're very independent. They can be away from one another. One can leave the house. One can stay. They can both be in a class together when one is working. The other one is fine, but I'm not going to lie, everyone. It was a lot of work. And especially that first year, I put a lot, a lot, a lot of work into them having coping skills away from one another. And it started I mean, from eight weeks old, <laughs> um, when I decided that two of them were staying, we really started working on when one is working with me, something really fantastic happens with the other one. And so what could that look like? And again, this is going to solve, this is going to give the dogs coping skills for being apart from one another. This is not going to work on kind of what the conflict could potentially look like if there if there could be some kind of a conflict. So what does that look like? So what that might look like is one of them, you're going to do some little puppy things with, you're going to do sit down and stand, you're going to do hand targets, you're going to do something really easy, nose targets, whatever. Um, and maybe the other puppy while you're doing that gets something really fantastic, like a topple filled with wet dog food. Um, and there may be laying in a crate right next to you and right next to you, not in another room, um, if they'll hang on on a dog bed right next to you, or you can put them a barrier up and then that the other puppy can be on the other side of the barrier, getting their topple filled with fantastic stuff. And then the other puppy is going to be working with you. So the other puppy then can be, um, sitting with you, working with you, doing fantastic stuff while the other puppy gets something really, really good. So that could be what that looks like. And then you flip-flop them. And what they're learning in that moment is that when my sibling does something with their human, really good stuff happens with me, right? Because the big piece of having siblings is that one is always felt left out. So you have that FOMO, right? The fear of missing out that one of the siblings is displaying. And so if we can teach them, hey, you know what? When your sibling does something really good, you're also going to get something really fantastic. So if we start to set up those scenarios and in the beginning, start close. Don't put that dog away in a crate in another room. Don't put that dog, you know, 
in a space that's really far away, start them really close to one another. So you can be there to kind of reinforce good behaviors while they're kind of hanging out on their dog bed or their crate. So you might have one puppy out, you're doing sit down anytime that puppy that you're working does a behavior like a sit or a down, the other puppy gets rewarded too. Okay. So that, Hey, when this dog is working and working, meaning doing little baby puppy stuff, the other one gets something really good when the other puppy does something. And then we can start to space out the reinforcers. So slowly slowing down a reinforcement for the puppy that's hanging on the dog bed of the crate. Um, or we start adding distance. So then we can start moving that crate further and further away. So that dog can eventually be created with their good stuff. And then you're out working the other puppy. Um, and again, either when the puppy is there, you're reinforcing it or you're giving it something really good. So like a topple or a stuffed Kong or something where you're working one dog and the other dog is getting something good. So that's how I'd start to facilitate that little fear of missing out if you want to work them at the same time. And this takes a lot of work. <laughs> this takes a lot of work. I think I have tons of video when my dogs were puppies, um, slowly kind of facilitating that where one could just hang out quietly on a bed doing nothing while the other one was actually doing something active. And they learned that hanging out doing nothing was just as reinforcing to, to do as working. And this goes with multi-dog households, um, but siblings for sure. So so you can do that while you're working the two of them. The other piece that you can do is, again, when one of them leaves the house, so one of the puppies is going to go for a walk, which is a really good idea to take each puppy individually. So I know puppies are a lot of work, and this is going to double your amount of work. <laughs> um, when one puppy goes out for a walk, the other one stays home. And I know that is a huge pain in the butt, and you don't have to do it all the time but I would do it a lot, you guys, a lot. <laughs> one puppy goes to class, the other puppy stays home. One puppy goes for a walk, the other one stays home. One puppy does a play a play date with another socially stable adult dog or another puppy and the other puppy stays home. And then the puppy that stays home gets something good. All right, so get something good. So that means that that puppy gets a stuffed topple or a bully stick or a Himalayan yak chew or something fantastic. So they start to go, oh, when you go away, something really good happens. <laughs> so that the puppies learn that in their absence, really good stuff happens. Would they start to learn, oh, I guess it's okay for me to be by myself, which is our big underlying goal, right? To teach them to have coping skills away from their other siblings. Sibling, I guess I would say. Um, individual classes. I mean, I think that's a fantastic idea where they learn to interact with other puppies. Um, individual outings where you go for walks by themselves. Um, taking individual puppies for walks at night by themselves. Night is a whole new ball game, everyone, when you take a puppy out for a walk at night. Uh, any place really that we talk about for for getting them out and just allowing them to to smell the world sniff walks taking each puppy on their own sniff walk and again they're they're learning to be independent but the other thing that you're creating a lot of is they're learning to bond with you you are kind of this common denominator of safety out and about in the world which is so crucial for puppies to learn um and just facilitate kind of that bonding with you so that they're not inadvertently developing a strong bond with their litter mate, which they naturally are going to do if you don't intervene. So um, doing lots and lots of individual stuff with the puppies that you have at home, taking them out. And this is going to go on for a while. 
you know, if you get your puppy between eight to 10 weeks old, um, you're going to do this for at least the first, I'm going to say nine months to a year. And then even some outside of that and continue to maintain those kind of coping skill behaviors up until they're pretty comfortable um, taking one outside. Right. And then if, if you feel, I mean, I always have to have that caveat, right. If you feel like some of the anxiety ridden, anxiety driven behaviors, so some of the behaviors are maladaptive or they're not within the normal realm of just being a little bit anxious, seek out your veterinarian for sure. <laughs> um, and then if you're struggling with some kind of conflict and you see some of those kind of things arise and some of the conflict issues can arise at a fairly young age in between littermates, um, certainly seek me out <laughs> or a qualified behavior consultant or your veterinarian or your veterinarian that, that specializes in behavior, because that is something you're that without intervention is going to get worse. Um, usually it is not something that goes away. Most behavior issues in dogs aren't something dogs grow out of unless it's a maturity thing. Um, most of those behaviors typically will get worse without intervention. So definitely seek out um, if you feel like there's some anxiety behaviors, seek out your vet. Um, if you feel like you're having conflict um, or behaviors you need help with, certainly um, seek out a qualified, uh, certified behavior consultant in those cases. So take on your siblings again. And and again, kind of going back to, to what we talked about in the beginning, if these things don't bother you, then they're your lives, they're your dogs. Like it shouldn't be anyone else's business. But if it's something that you're concerned about, um, certainly put the work in. And um, again, if you have any questions, you know where to find me.